Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know? The average garage door is made up of 1.3 millimeter aluminum panels. Something you probably do know? Your neighbor likes to tinker with his dirt bike. Something you probably don't know? A runaway dirt bike can take out your garage door and a good portion of your car bumper. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam alongside Josh Hill. It was a wild week 10. I think a lot happened. I think some teams got eliminated, and some teams really solidified their playoff positioning, or at least their playoff push anyway. So start right in. Let's just jump into it. Josh, what did you take away from the week that was? The biggest takeaway that I had was if we're going to have concussion protocol in a league and a sport where... Brain injuries are a very big deal. I mean, both in players retiring now and players who played the game back in the day and are now suffering dementia and all of these things. If we're going to be conscious about all of these things, we need to do something where the players can't just decide on their own that they don't want to get checked on the sideline. Referring to, of course, the Russell Wilson thing on Thursday, which, you know, okay, I get it. You want to go back into the game. But was it that hard for, if you're going to fake it, is it that hard for Russell Wilson to just to go under the tent, then come back out instead of make a big, not even go into the tent? And then you had the business on Sunday with the Colts and Jacoby Brissett. He gets hit in the head. They say that he's fine on the sideline. Then all of a sudden after the game, he can't talk to the media because he has concussion-like symptoms. It, I, I just don't understand what the NFL is doing. He had that hit on uh, Joe Flacco by Kiko Alonso a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't. He gets off basically scot-free. Scot I don't understand what the NFL is doing. Maybe they're preoccupied with this Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell feud that's going on, but something has to change. If you want to be the league that, A, exists in 20 years because you know, you've know you figured out the brain injury problem, and B, you want to be on the forefront of actually making your sport safe. I don't get what they're doing. Uh, listen, I, I agree. There needs to be a significant investigation into what's going on in Seattle. Uh, they've had issues before about designating injuries correctly. Um, and now, you know, anyone who watched that game on Thursday night, Russell Wilson got beamed mm-hmm. with the crown of a helmet right into his jawline, comes out for a play only because the referee in the game, Walt Anderson, forced him to go out for a play. He went over. He sat in the tent, if you even want to call it sitting in the tent. They basically pulled the tent over, and the second it got hit the ground, they put it back up. He ran back out. He only missed one snap. Uh, that's, that's not concussion protocol. You, you can't, and if the NFL is going to be serious on concussions, then there needs to be a stiff fine. There needs to be a penalty. Uh, and, and you mentioned as well, look, the Colts, Jacoby Brissett, was clearly hurt in that game. Now, whether or not he ends up having a concussion or not, you know, they'll have to actually evaluate him, but it was very obvious to me that he needed to go through the protocol and the Colts say they want, they put it to him twice. Well, he didn't miss a play. How long does his protocol take? 10 seconds? Uh, I mean, there has to be some kind of concern that the protocol is A, not stringent enough, and B, 
that it's very easy to get around. Teams don't take it that seriously. And if that's the case, obviously it's a very big problem. Yeah, and look, Russell Wilson seemed like he was fine. Like, he came on the sideline. He was very, you know, cognizant. It looked like he wasn't, like, stumbling around like we saw, you know, Matt Moore, who got destroyed in that playoff game last year. Who also the, didn't miss a game. Didn't miss a play. Yeah, and he came back in, and he just, you know, overthrew everybody. It was just a disaster. So, I get that the players want to come into the game. Devontae Freeman leaves the Falcons game on Sunday, and it changes the way that the offense has to flow. They end up winning the game. But, look, you can't have it both ways. If you want to detract or to have an answer to the people that say that football is an unsafe sport and you want to argue that it is, then you need to actually make it safe. So, you know, that, that, that's just my two cents. And that's what I noticed in uh, week 10. What did you take away? What's your big takeaway, Matt? Uh, it would be that the Denver Broncos have significant problems. Obviously, this year, of course, they're three and six. But going forward, they are in what might be the hardest spot you can possibly be in as a professional franchise. And that is to have a legend who has become an issue for you. And so, you know, we've seen this time and again throughout all sports where teams hire former players who are great players from Hall of Fame players, and it doesn't work out. And it's very, very hard to have that divorce because as a fan, you're tying that former player to what they were to you as a player. And, and so even if you know... Progressive presents today's to-do list for your cat. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get food. Walk away from food. Move to couch. See human. Give cold shoulder. Take a nap. Meow till I get your food. Your pet has a food. very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you. Move to couch. Aggressively clean myself. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get coverage get for your pets with anti-auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with a purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms. Oh, they're maybe not doing a great job in the front office or as a coach. It's hard to separate that. And I think the Broncos are going through that right now with John Elway. Now, look, I don't want to make this worse than it is. Elway has a ring on his finger as an executive, and he got them to another Super Bowl. Of course, he won two as a player. So Elway is an extremely, extremely successful NFL man, both as player and as a GM. Now, that being said, he gets a lot of credit, and deservedly so, for signing Peyton Manning when he was a free agent back in 2012. But outside of that move and the obvious move when he took over as GM of drafting Von Miller with the second overall pick, which anybody would have done with that pick, he has done a borderline atrocious job as Denver's general manager. Now, they've had some good free agent signings. Manuel Sanders, TJ Ward come to mind. Darian Stewart's been a good player for them. Brandon Marshall was a really nice get after the Jaguars let him go as a young player. But this team is eroded year after year after year, and now you're seeing it in full force. You're seeing a team that is whiffed on drafts for five straight years, and when that happens, I don't care how good you are in free agency, you get old, you get slow, and what happens is you lose your depth, your team becomes more and more expensive because those rookie contracts aren't panning out for you, and so you're letting guys go at the expense of, of keeping a rookie contract for a more expensive deal. And, and I'll get into it here more in a second. But the Broncos are 3-6. and six. They don't have a quarterback, despite drafting one in the first round two years ago. And they're getting old on the defensive side of the ball. The coaching staff is a mess. And it falls at the feet of John Elway, which is a very tough thing for Denver fans right now because he is probably the greatest player in franchise history 
And he's also one of the biggest reasons that they stink right now. Yeah, Tony Dungy, who is always, you know, on the side. He's always Mr. Friendly on NBC. He came off the top rope on the pregame show and after they had this segment about John Elway, and he said that he's the best quarterback that is in the building in Denver. And I was like, when Tony Dungy is raking you over the coals, that's a big deal. So I agree with you. I think that there's problems in Denver. Um, we saw this coming, though. This isn't anything new. And if we saw this coming, to your point... How did the front office not see this coming? It's the same thing. We dog uh, Bill O'Brien for not being able to see that Deshaun Watson was the guy to go with week one, despite having months to see this. Denver's had years to see this. John Elway has had years to see this. This goes back to when he still had Peyton Manning. If you're a smart front office executive, you set up a plan to move you into the next era. You don't, you know, look what they did in Green Bay, Okay. They draft Aaron Rodgers in 2005. They know that Brett Favre still has a couple of years left, but they know that they're going to get their guy. They let him stew. They let him grow. And then they transition. Okay. They thought that they were going to do that with Indianapolis, but they tried to do it on the, on the fly. They were like, all right, we're, it's, it's a tank year. We're going to suck for luck. We're going to get him. And we'll be fine. They're not fine. And I think Denver's suffering from the same problem. So listen to, to me, you know, you just look at their draft history. They have not drafted a pro bowler since 2011. Mm. Not an all-pro, which, of course, they haven't drafted one of those either since 2011 in Vaughn Miller, but they have not drafted a pro bowl player since 2011. Now, the class in 2012 wasn't bad. They drafted Derek Wolf, They drafted Malik Jackson, Dan Trevathan. Those guys were cornerstones on winning the Super Bowl, so give them credit there. But they didn't retain Jackson or Trevathan. They both left. Wolf is still there. He's one of the better players on the team. But after that draft, their last – I won't include this year because young kids still. But their last four drafts are brutal. I mean, Sylvester Williams, first-round pick. Bradley Roby, first-round pick. Shane Ray, first-round pick. Paxton Lynch, first-round pick. Look, Shane Ray and Bradley Roby are NFL players, but those guys aren't right now giving you first-round pick production. There's no way. And beyond that, you're talking about guys – and this is where Elway's really missed – those middle rounds. Monty Ball, who's a oh. terrible pick in the second round. Kayvon Webster, third round pick. Good special teams player. It's about all he gave you. After that, you're talking about Quintara Smith, Tavares King, Vinston Painter, uh, you know, Cody Latimer, Michael Schofield, Layman Barrow. I, I go on and on and on. The point being, look, they're not drafting players. Forget who are elite players. They're not drafting serviceable players. And so what you end up with is a team that is, is low on talent, that is high on payroll because they have to retain any players that they have, and then they've got to go fill holes with free agency, and free agency is always going to cost you more. So it's been a big problem for Denver. And look, it all comes down like it always does in football in the quarterback position. If they had gotten Paxton Lynch right, a lot of this, a lot of these sins would be forgiven. But they didn't get Paxton Lynch right. Paxton Lynch is atrociously bad. He is, he is so bad that he couldn't be Trevor Simeon out in two straight training camps with two different head coaches looking at him. And both of them came to the same conclusion. So now you're stuck with Osweiler, you're stuck with Simeon, Lynch appearing to be a bust. And now the question becomes with Elway, and I think it's going to be his defining moment here as general manager of this team. You whiffed on Lynch. Frankly, and I know we're only nine games into his tenure, it appears that you whiffed on Vance Joseph. The man looks like a nice enough guy. He looks very overmatched as a head coach. Mm -hmm. And so, and frankly, their staff looks overmatched. Brock Olivo, the special teams coordinator, after Sunday night's performance, I'm shocked, frankly, he still has a job Monday morning. So 
they just look so overwhelmed, and a lot of this falls on Elway. But look, he's going to have a top pick in this draft. They're going to probably be in the top 10, certainly top 12 picks. Do they take a quarterback? Because if they do, A, they're officially moving on from Paxton Lynch, but if they do, he's got to be right. Because if he's not right, it's fireball fans. And the Broncos, they're not used to losing. This is a team that has three losing seasons in the last 31 years. They don't lose a lot of games. But if they don't fix that quarterback situation, this team is not good enough around that spot to buoy them to nine or ten wins. They are just going to lose and lose a lot. And so the Broncos are in a dangerous spot in an AFC West that is you know, struggling this year, but the Chiefs are a young team, and, and the Raiders certainly have young cornerstones to build around for years to come. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's not a good situation in Denver, which kind of leads me into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is I want to run down some stories here with you, Verderam, and see, see exactly what the story is. So uh, we'll start with the Vikings and Case Keenum which was a big story on Sunday. So he goes out and he torches the Redskins. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is also a story because he comes back for the first time since that gruesome leg injury that he suffered. He's emotional on the sideline, and it was a really good scene to see him back. Um, what's the story with the Vikings? Do they re-sign Case Keenum? Do they ride with Teddy Bridgewater? Or do they go out and find somebody else? Because this is a franchise for as long as I've watched them, which is going back 20-some years, it's been band-aid after band-aid after band-aid at quarterback. And this is, this is textbook Vikings. They have a franchise guy. He gets hurt. Some scrub comes in. Well, no offense to Case Keenum. He's not that much of a scrub, but he's not a big name. Comes in, plays phenomenally, and then all of a sudden you have this question. So what's the story? Uh, look, I, I think all three of these quarterbacks for the Vikings are free agents after this year. I would let Sam Bradford walk. He can't mm-hmm. stay healthy. Okay, so you move on there. Now, Case Keenum's an interesting guy. So far this year, a little over 1,900 yards in the air, 11 touchdowns. Case Keenum's 29 years old. Okay, he's going to be obviously 30 in this offseason. Uh, I don't think you treat him as more than a high-end backup. Now, Keenum's played well this year. They're 7-2. He's a big part of that. 11 touchdowns, 5 picks. Okay. The problem is, I don't know that you can sit there and say, well, he's the franchise. Because he's not the franchise. Teddy Bridgewater is your franchise. And so... I don't know that you bench Keenum right now. They're 7-2. and two. It's hard to rock that boat. But I would still, if I'm Rick Schmielman, the general manager there, I would view Bridgewater as your future, as your guy for the next 10, 12 years, uh, unless you just have the intel that he's just never going to be the same again. But yeah, to me, Keenum, you ride the hot hand this year, but Bridgewater, you move forward with Teddy Bridgewater. I try to keep Keenum as a backup, but I wouldn't spend crazy money. We'll keep it in the NFC for this one. Uh, what's the story with the Philadelphia Eagles? Okay, so they don't play a lot this past week, but Carson Wentz is in the MVP discussion, which at this point I guess we have to kind of realize is a, is a serious thing because he's having a phenomenal season. Doug Peterson's in the conversation for Coach of the Year. They only have one loss this year. It was to the Chiefs, probably the only good team that they've played. But are they the best team in the NFC or did we see maybe this week that there are teams like the Saints, the Vikings, that could challenge them, and it's not such a clear path to the Super Bowl? I think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. Like, 8-1 is 8-1. But, like, it speaks for itself. They've won seven games in a row. But, I, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and crush Philadelphia because Philadelphia is a really good team. But I do think there are some warning signs of Philadelphia that maybe they're not quite as good as people are making it out to be. First of all, the loss of Jason Peters is a huge deal. That is going to rear its head at some point. Mm-hmm. Losing Jordan Hicks... He's one of the best linebackers in coverage in the NFL. That is going to matter at some point. Now, can they overcome it? Sure. Every team loses some guys and they can overcome it. But 
those things matter. Those things rear their heads at some point. Philadelphia this year has played, on the whole, an easy schedule. Pounded Denver at home. Beat the Chargers on the road. Aw, you didn't have to go so all out for my birthday. Yes, we did. Because birthdays are about showing your friends how much you care for them and how grateful you are for their... This is Jamie from Progressive. No, this is a great time. Progressive protects you 24-7. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. <clears throat> Jamie. Can you hold on one second? Uh, I gotta take this call. But remember, birthdays are about togetherness. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. A tight game. Beat the 49ers at home. Hey, as you mentioned, lost to the Chiefs. Uh, you know, the schedule's not been overly difficult. They beat the Giants, and they needed a 60-yard field goal to do it at home. Uh, you know, beat Washington twice. Take that for what it's worth. I think Washington's a, a decent team. I wouldn't say they're bad, and they're not, they're not great. Uh, I think the Eagles are right there with the Saints, the Rams. Uh, you know, you want to throw the Vikings in there, fine. But the thing I have is, look, we always judge these teams on a week-to-week basis with a microscope. If the, if the Eagles played the Seahawks in a playoff game right now, mm. who did you take? For me, I'd take Seattle in that game. I, Seattle's been there. They've done it. That matters. Uh, and the Eagles have never been there with this team. You don't. Uh, Wentz might be a great playoff quarterback. He might be Tony Romo in the playoffs. You have no idea what he's going to be. That is my fear with the Eagles. Is you have no clue. And at some point, their one weak spot is their secondary. That's coming to roost at some point. At some juncture this year, and and you know, look, Wentz has been sacked twenty three times. If you go to twenty four as a team, the Eagles have their flaws. But I'll say this for the Eagles: every team in the league has flaws this year. Every team. There's not a great team in the NFL this season. Speaking of a uh, team with flaws and a quarterback with flaws, what's the story with Blake Bortles' future in Jacksonville? So we're watching the game yesterday in the office, the crazy end of the Chargers-Jaguars game where Blake Bortles does everything in his power to try to lose that game. Thankfully, the defense, which has been a top 10 unit all year long, bails them out in overtime to pick off uh, Phillip Rivers. What's the story with Blake Bortles? Because he's got a year left on his deal. I think they can get out of it and save like $20 million. I think it's like $19.5 million if they get rid of him. Are they going to keep him? Are they going to give this another year, ride out the last year of his deal? Do they draft somebody? What's the story with Blake Bortles' future? I mean, I think they're going to look to replace him. Uh, If they can't, then maybe he's back on that option year. They have the cap space to keep him. I think ultimately, if you're Jacksonville, you are absolutely looking to draft a replacement. If Alex Smith gets cut by the Chiefs, if they move on or if they trade him, if you're Jacksonville, do you give up a second-round pick for Alex Smith? I would, for sure. Would you give up a first-round pick? I don't know. That's a little pricey, but Alex Smith is having an MVP caliber year, so that might be what it takes. Um, now, if you're Jacksonville, maybe you're willing to give that up because you're not picking in the top five. Mm. You know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a 23rd pick in the draft, and you're willing to part with that. I don't know. But I think if you're Jacksonville, you are absolutely looking to upgrade him because if you even have a good quarterback, you're a Super Bowl team, or at least in the conversation anyway. Bortles is horrendous. I, I don't want to crush anybody you know, un- unnecessarily, but he's completing 58% of his throws. He's 11 t- touchdowns and 7 picks. And it's not even – when you watch him, it is just mind-numbingly – he, he makes decisions – and it just cost them all the time. They, they should have lost to the Chargers. Oh, yeah. If the Chargers weren't the Chargers and just found a new way to lose every single week, which, by the way, on a side note, has there ever been a team in the NFL that finds more ridiculous ways to lose in that team? It's a comedy of errors. It's every week. Every week that team finds a new way to lose. So 
I think San Diego or Los Angeles lost that game more than the Jags won it. I think Jacksonville is a great defense. You talked about it in the preseason. You were right on. They've been terrific defensively. But the problem with them is going to be in the playoffs. You, you, look, you can beat the Chargers like this. Mm-hmm. You're not beating good teams like this in the postseason. Like Bortles is going to kill them in a playoff game. So, yeah, I think they will absolutely be trying to upgrade. But if they can't find that guy... Bortles is under contract for another year. I think they could ride with them if they absolutely have to. Uh, wrapping a bow around this one, this goes into the next one that we're going to talk about. But if you're Jacksonville and you are willing to part with that first-round pick since it's not high, is there a way to maybe like a sign-and-trade? I don't know if this is possible with the CBA, but sign-and-trade or get, find a way to use that to get Kirk Cousins? I mean, Cousins is going to hit the market. And they're going to have to pay out the nose. But again, like if you're Jacksonville, you have more cap space. You know mm-hmm. what to do with it. I would absolutely... Look, now Cousins is going to cost more than any player in NFL history. Okay, he is he's third right now in passing yards in the NFL. He's having a very good year on a, on a team that has no weapons around. The Thrall Pryor has been basically in witness protection throughout the season. Uh, Cousins is going to get a contract that's thirty million dollars plus every year and a hundred million in guarantees. It's going to be insane, and Jacksonville is going to have some competition. This team is going to be bidding hard on on Kirk Cousins, including by the way Denver. Um, but, yeah, look, Jacksonville's got to do whatever it can to try to upgrade that position because the rest of his team, it's ready to go. It's a good team. It's a good – and, 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 my God, in a division where it's not exactly overwhelming, although, you know, it's starting to get better. Sean Watson's in that division. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's going to happen to Andrew Luck. But Jacksonville's got to be aggressive at that quarterback spot because, really, that's the one glaring Achilles heel on the team. All right, before we get into the last point, I've got this one. Maybe we can be brief with it. Or I, It was a fascinating thought that I had, but – we're, it's pretty much assumed that Kirk Cousins is going to leave Washington. Yeah. It's also, I would say, getting to the, close to that same point that Andy Dalton's time in Cincinnati is going to be over. You have a vacancy in Washington. You're Jay Gruden. Do you call up Andy Dalton in the offseason? I don't know what the contract looks like. I don't know what that deal is. But if you're Jay Gruden, you lose Kirk Cousins. Andy Dalton's on the market. Do you bring him to Washington? And is he an upgrade not an upgrade over Kirk Cousins, but an upgrade over what else you could get to replace him, which would be, I guess, drafting the successor. Uh, it's a good question. I, I, I think they'd be interested for sure. I mean, like, we, we get on Dalton and whatnot, but Dalton's an NFL quarterback. Now, do I think you want to Super Bowl with Andy Dalton? I think you probably have to be pretty good around them. Might have to be great around them. But, yeah, I think, I think you'd, you'd explore that. Now, I, I think if you're the Redskins and you'll lose Cousins, like, you have to draft somebody and try to make them the successor. But if they can sit behind Dalton for a year or so, I think it all depends on structure of contract. I mean, Dalton, if he, if, if the Bengals cut Andy Dalton, he's going to get paid. Quarterbacks in this league get paid. Brock mm-hmm. Osweiler got four years and $72 million. Brock Osweiler <laughs> sucks, okay? You're going to get paid in the NFL if you're a quarterback. If Andy Dalton, it's a market to tell you right now, he's getting $20 million a year plus, okay? I'll tell you, another team's going to be all in on quarterbacks, the Cardinals. Yeah. Cardinals are going to be all in. And that's an attractive spot, especially if mm. Bruce Arians stays there. You've got a decent team around you. That's a, it's great weather. It's, you know, indoors, it's a great place to play for a quarterback. Okay, Arizona is going to be aggressively trying to get a quarterback because Carson Palmer, they have nobody. Okay, because Drew Stanton, Blaine Gabbert, th- that's nobody. So, yeah, I think I think the Redskins absolutely would be in on that if Cousins were to leave, uh, which he probably will. And the Bengals, look, I think if you're the Bengals, there, there's a case to be made for moving on. Mm-hmm. Dalton, maybe if you're the Bengals, you say, hey, we can do better in the draft this year. And with Marvin Lewis's contract expiring, I think the time's come here. You, you got to gut this team. Now, 
Maybe they keep Dalton and they say, well, we're going to use him in our next iteration. Fine. But I could I could see a scenario for sure where, where the Bengals say, you know what? Let's, let's go dark here for a few years and try to rebuild this thing. All right. And the last one, this is a uh, judging from our conversations in the office watching the games on Sunday, an issue near and dear to your heart. What's the deal with this Pittsburgh Steelers offense? Because we saw them go into Indianapolis and lose the first half of that game. You could say they lost the first three quarters. They didn't really wake up until about maybe like 10 minutes to go left in the game. And then the Colts being the Colts gave up what was like 20 unanswered points or something like that. Uh, But this, you know, it's one thing to beat the Colts. It's another thing to take that offense into the playoffs. So what's the story with the Steelers? Should fans be nervous about whatever's going on with Ben Roethlisberger and the three Bs? I think, and I wrote about this in Stacking the Box, which you can check out every Monday on fanside.com. I led with this. The Steelers are absolutely Super Bowl contender. I think they're the best team in the AFC. I don't think it's by a wide margin. I think Kansas City and New England are both good enough that if they were to play their best game in the playoffs, they could certainly beat Pittsburgh, home or away. That being said, the Steelers for the last five, six years have been an offensive-dominating team, or an offensive-dominant team, I should say. They've been Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and in the last handful of years, you're Le'Veon Bell. That is no longer the case with this team. The Steelers have to win by playing really good defense. It's, a, it's hearkening back to what they were when Roethlisberger first came to town. That team had Plexico Burst. That team had Heinz Ward, okay? That team had Mike Wallace. And, and they had, a, you know, whether it was Willie Parker or Rashad Mendenhall, none of those guys were Le'Veon Bell, but they were good running backs in the time, okay? Roethlisberger was a caretaker, and right now, that's what he needs to be. Now, that being said, Antonio Brown, in my opinion, is the best receiver in football. Le'Veon Bell is the best running back in football. Those two players are tremendous but there's a little bit of a trend that I find interesting. That Antonio Brown's going to get his catches no matter what. They scheme the whole offense to throw him the football, okay? But Le'Veon Bell, now, he is leading the league in rushing, all right? But what's been interesting to me is the last two weeks, 25 carries against the Lions, 76 yards. 26 carries against the Colts, 80 yards, averaging three yards a carry. Even against the Bengals, he rushed for 134 yards, but he did it on 35 attempts, 3.8 yards a carry. As teams start to realize that Ben Roethlisberger no longer is the same player, they are going to continue to stack the box to take away Le'Veon Bell. Now, Bell is so talented, he's going to still have some great games. But Roethlisberger's decline at this point to me is fairly obvious. He's completing 61% of his throws. It would be the second lowest margin of his career. He has 12 touchdowns, or excuse me, yes, 12 touchdowns and 10 picks. He's only been sacked 11 times this year, so he's getting great protection. He can't throw the ball the way he used to throw the ball anymore. If you watch him, he struggles to throw the ball deep, and he struggles to throw the ball outside the numbers. Okay, everybody brushed off his retirement talk in the offseason because it was like, well, you know, Big Ben, he's kind of a drama queen sometimes. You know, he talks about being injured, and he's okay. He talks about retirement, but he comes back. I, I, looking back now, I, I kind of believe him. Like, I think he knows he's at the end of his road here. Uh, the Steelers are going to have to win games playing really good defense, and being able to get the occasional big play out of Antonio Brown, the occasional big play out of Juju Schmidt-Schuster, and the occasional big game out of Le'Veon Bell. But I think this is Pittsburgh's last stand. I really do. Uh, Roethlisberger might be done after this year. If they win the Super Bowl, I, I would almost guarantee he's done. Le'Veon Bell's a free agent after this year. There's no guarantee. The Steelers typically do not spend big money on guys. So uh, this might be it. 
this might be it for them. And I think you're going to have to win defensively. If you're a Pittsburgh fan, like I think you're confident in this team because I think defensively they're good. I don't think they're great defensively. I think they're good. They have very good front seven. But, uh, yeah, they're not going to win a lot of games 31-30 like they used to. This team's going to have to win games more 20-17 to as they did in Indianapolis. Yeah, and Pittsburgh's weird. And it, they like to figure things out in the playoffs. They're like that team where they get into the postseason. And it's just anything like the game in Arrowhead last year, where it's like the Chiefs, they look like they're going to come in. They look like they're going to roll. Like they dropped throw that, that in my face? They, <laughs> they dropped the game earlier in the year, but then they, you know, they come back, and then the Steelers win. They go to the AFC Championship game. So I think I agree with you. I think this is the last stand. And to me, it's more interesting in that where is the future of the Steelers going to go? Because Roethlisberger very well could be done after this year. Bell, if he hits the free agent market, which it looks like he's going to, He's going to get a big contract from somebody. They're, they're going to back up the Brinks truck to bring him somewhere. This is a very interesting spot that the Steelers are in, and I think this is the last stand for them. But, hey, uh, weirder I'll, things have happened. I mean, I'll just say this. Look, I think Pittsburgh's the best team in the AFC, but the AFC's weak. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I think Kansas City and one of the two teams that could beat them, although they, they dominate Kansas City. Every time they play them, they, they beat the Brakes off the Chiefs. So uh, it's a tough matchup for Kansas City. But, look, New England – Owns them. They play each other week 15. Uh, and I think those three teams, they're probably all going to end up in the divisional round. And we'll see where it goes from there. I, I really don't think you... It's tough to evaluate any of these teams when they're playing lesser opponents because they're just more talented than them. Like, in, Indianapolis is a terrible team. And they almost beat Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh won the game because they're just better than them. They, they didn't play well in the game. They didn't even look interested in the game for the first half. But... They won the game because Ryan Chazier made a great play to pick off a pass. And Antonio Brown makes a great play late, and he runs for 40 yards, and they, they, win, they win the game. But, you know, the, the question for me is going to be, Roethlisberger and the Steelers, they don't play in a dome. They mm-hmm. don't play in warm weather. This isn't Miami, nope. okay? Roethlisberger is struggling to throw the ball now, indoors, sometimes in warm mm-hmm. weather outdoors. What is that going to look like in January? That's my question. What more wear and tear on his body, colder weather, harder to grip the ball. What is that going to look like? It remind, and I know I've said this to you away from the microphones a million times. It reminds me not of Peyton Manning's last year when they won the Super Bowl. It reminds me of the year prior to that. When he started to decline and people started to talk toward the end of the year, but, you know, geez, he can't throw the ball deep. And then you, you had that pushback of, well, he's, over, he's overthrowing guys. So he's got the arm strength. He's just missing. People miss the point with that. When you're overthrowing guys like that, it's because Manning didn't have the arm strength anymore and he had to put his whole body into it and he lost the accuracy. And you're seeing that same thing with Roethlisberger. He's most of the time, not un- he's not underthrowing guys. He's mostly overthrowing guys. And it's because he no longer can drive the ball the way he used to. It's the same thing outside the numbers. I watched the throw yesterday against Indianapolis. He had Antonio Brown on a, on a deep out, about 20 yards on the sideline. Brown's wide open. There's no Colt within seven or eight yards of him. And he just sailed the ball out of bounds. And I think most people look at that and say, oh, he overthrew him. Yeah, he did overthrow him, but not because he's got a cannon for an arm. He overthrew him because he put way too much into it, and he simply couldn't drive the ball anymore. And so if I'm a team in the playoffs against Pittsburgh, I'm doing whatever I can to stop Le'Veon Bell, and I, am, and I am just saying, you know, you have to beat me. You're doubling Brown. You have to beat me over the top. But in any event, uh, I think the Steelers, fascinating team to watch going forward. So... Leads right into it. Thursday night, Tennessee is at Pittsburgh. NBC is airing. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. 
Something you probably don't know? A driveway basketball hoop, including the base, weighs around 400 pounds. Something you probably do know? There's a windstorm coming. Something you probably don't know? A basketball hoop tipping over can poke a hole in a car roof like a can opener. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. This game, and they're going to use a different viewpoint for this game. It's yeah. going to be the sky cam uh, that we're going to see throughout the game. So if you watch that game and you're wondering what's going on, you're going to kind of get the Madden view of the game. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be different. Pittsburgh is favored by a touchdown this game at home. Uh, I'll, I'll make it short and sweet. Look, I think Pittsburgh's a better team. They're at home. I think they win. I think it's a fairly close game, but I think Pittsburgh will pull away. At the end, Tennessee 6-3. and three. I don't know how Tennessee 6-3. and three. No. I, t- Tennessee looks abysmal week after week after week. Uh, I don't think the Titans are going to win this game. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think Pittsburgh's clearly the better team. I think the Titans play hard because they've got a lot on the line, but I think Pittsburgh finds a way to get the W. I think that Pittsburgh finds a way to win, too. Uh, One thing that I'll say about Tennessee, though, is that last week against Cincinnati, they turned into the team that we thought they were supposed to be all year long, which is a run-first team that controls the ball. DeMarco Murray, I think he had like two touchdowns or something like that. Uh, You know, Derrick Henry was in the game. Marcus Mariota was running. You have a mobile quarterback in Marcus Mariota. He needs to be—that offense works if he's one of the leading rushers. It's not a bad thing. Usually you look at the stat sheet and be like, oh man, Andy Dalton was second in rushing. That's bad. It's not bad when it's Marcus Mariota, when that's part of your offense. So my hope for Tennessee is that maybe they figured that out last week. The negative is that it's week 10 and they're still like, what's this offense? And you're running into a potential playoff matchup here with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We could see this again in January, depending on how things shake out. This is a big test for Tennessee. And I think this is going to show me what kind of team they are moving forward and I don't have a lot of confidence in them so I'm picking Pittsburgh yeah I think Pittsburgh wins the only thing that concerns me in this game with the Steelers is the Steelers Joe Hayden's going to be out for this game Mm. okay now I do think the Steelers contain Mariota because they're fast up front but how does Hayden affect that secondary Brissett had a couple of times they had breakdowns and coverage and he had wide open deep balls for for six points the other thing with Pittsburgh to keep an eye on the average giving up 4.2 yards per attempt okay they're tied for 21st in the league uh, Tennessee's going to pound the ball, and that's what Tennessee is. So, see how things play out. I do think, though, at the end of the day, uh, Tennessee makes it a game, but Tennessee doesn't do enough to win the game. So, uh, we both agree. I, I think Pittsburgh probably gets to 8-2 and two here. Moving to the Sunday slate, let's just get through this game. Uh, <laughs> Arizona's favored by 1.5 against Houston. Oof. Tom Savage playing Gabbert. What a, what a just, oh, my God. Uh, I, I, what? What do you want from me? These teams are awful. I don't know. Like Deshaun Watson being injured sucked the life out of the Texans. They're three and six. They're done. Uh, Arizona is four and five. They're also done. Uh, they're on the third string quarterback at this point. Uh, the game's in Houston. Y- you know what? G- give me. Yeah, God. I, I, I don't know. I don't. Just. I don't. Uh, I don't have much to add to that, actually. It's kind of just, I think that's how the game's going to go. I have absolutely no confidence in Tom Savage doing anything positive. And I really, really hope, we talked about it last week, and, you know, I don't wish ill on anybody, but I want the Texans to lose this game because I want them to finish out this season as poorly as possible so that Bill O'Brien gets fired at the end of the year and 
Deshaun Watson is not tethered to him for the next five to six years of his career. What a crime that would be. Yeah, so because if the Texans start winning, it's going to get harder to fire O'Brien. It's going to get even harder to fire him when Deshaun Watson comes back, and he is the player who he looked to be before he suffered the injury. So I've got, I've got Arizona in this, though, just because I think this is going to come down. We're taking the quarterbacks out of this because literally you have to. It's Blaine Gabbert and Tom Savage. I think Bruce Arians is a better head coach than Bill O'Brien. So it comes down to that for me. I think that Arizona's defense is better. If for anything else, it's more healthy. So I'm going with Arizona in this one. Yeah, I, I got to take Arizona, too. I, I, just, I can't pick Tom Savage. You can't. I know it's picking Blaine Gabbert, but I think Arizona's just a better team, and Houston's just going to be flat out quit. Um, another game with two quarterbacks that have broken arms. Uh, Blaine, uh, excuse me, Baltimore is at Green Bay. Baltimore's <clears throat> favored by two and a half in this game. I normally would say Vegas gets it. They know what they're doing. Has Vegas seen the Ravens this year? I, I, I get Brett Hundley's playing. Joe Flacco's also playing. Uh, both guys really not doing much to give you a ton of confidence. Uh, you know, the Packers coming off a win. You know, give them credit there. They go to Chicago. They find a way to win despite being underdogs in the game. Hundley is completing 61.5% of his throws. He's got two touchdowns and four picks. He's 5.75 yards per attempt, which is just atrocious. Not to be outdone, Flacco has 5.33 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, 10 picks. I'm going to take the Packers in this game. I, they're at home. I think the Ravens are awful. The Ravens are only in the AFC playoff mix because, frankly, the sixth seed in the AFC is going to be cannon fodder for whoever the hell ends up being the three seed. Uh, I don't think either of these teams are good right now, but I think the Packers at least have some players that can do something. I, I just cannot buy the Ravens. The Ravens might score nine points in this game, so I'll take the Packers, who I think might score ten. I'm going to take the Packers in this one as well, not because I have any confidence in them, just because I don't, I don't take the Ravens seriously. And, you know, to the Packers' credit, I don't know what the situation with Aaron Rodgers is, but they are still in the playoff hunt. Okay, they lost to Detroit a couple of weeks ago, so that kind of hurts, but they got Baltimore this week, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Carolina, and then they finished the season against Minnesota and Detroit. So if they go into Week 16 with a shot at the division— they can take out the Vikings and they can take out the Lions. Then they're in business. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you were saying it yesterday on uh, Fan Side of Facebook Live. Aaron Rodgers, if they're in the playoffs and he can come back, he might come back. And all of a sudden, that is one of the most dangerous six seeds that you can ever th- you know, imagine. Let's tie it back. We talked about Philadelphia at the top, mm-hmm. right? Okay, now they're the one seed right now. If Green Bay is a six, beats whoever's a three and goes in there, who are you taking in that game? That's yeah. That's a tough one. That, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is playing, even Aaron Rodgers with a, a half broken collarbone or however healed that would be, uh, that's that's a tough matchup. So. I hate to quote Stephen A. Smith ever, <laughs> ever. So forgive me. But that's a bad man. I, yeah, I'll tell you right now. Like, if if you said to me, you get to, you, you have to you have to avoid one quarterback in the plus. Who is it? Him. Oh yeah, big Him. time. More than Absolutely. Brady. More than Brady. Because Rodgers can beat you any way you want to play. You want to get pressure on him, he's going to roll out those bombs six yards down the field. Teams in the NFC should be rooting like none other for everybody who plays Green Bay the rest of the way. Staying in the NFC North, Lions at Bears. Lions favored by three. They beat the Browns by 14 points on Sunday. It didn't look that good. They were tied, in, the, I believe, going into the fourth quarter. And they ended up pulling away. 
Uh, the Bears were favored for the first time in forever against Green Bay and got beaten pretty handily. Uh, I like Detroit in this game. Look, I, I respect the Bears defensively. I think the Bears have good defense. Uh, and they're playing hard. And, and Mitchell Trubisky, I think, has some real tools. He still doesn't have the weapons around them. Uh, I think the Lions get the job done. The Bears do have a suspect secondary. I think Stafford takes command of that situation. Pride's over 300-plus. Uh, the Lions lost in Chicago last year. I don't think it happens two times in a row. And I think the Lions realize, hey, look, if we win this game, we go into Thanksgiving with a shot here at making the playoffs and winning the division. So I think the Lions, I, I don't think it's a blowout, but I think they find a way to win. I do too. Uh, the Bears, to quote the great Dennis Green, uh, they are who we thought they were. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky in that offense, it's been abysmal ever since he took over. Granted, it's been better in that they find Bears fans have hope with Trubisky because he's shown some, some flair here and there. <clears throat> but for the most part, the offense has been terrible. John Fox with one of the worst challenges I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I thought for a second they might like suspend challenging for a week as like a tribute, uh, a, a week of silence for the tributes or uh, for the uh, challenges. Chicago's not good. And the Lions, I said it last week, they're playing for their season on a week by week basis here. Not a great start by going, by, you know, letting the Browns drag you into the fourth quarter. But hey, they're the better team. And you talk about the Packers closing out the season. Uh, you know, Detroit gets Chicago, Minnesota. Then they get Baltimore and Tampa Bay. Chicago again, so that could be an easy three-win streak there. Four in a row if they can beat uh, Cincinnati. And then you end the season against Green Bay. So say what you will about Detroit. They have their flaws. They're in the playoff hunt. I believe they're the first or second team out right now. So they're playing for their season. That's why I'm going to go with them. And uh, yeah, I mean, the Bears... There's always next year, Bears fans. <laughs> Good luck with next year. Speaking of, of, of a team that is always looking at next year, uh, Cleveland. And <sighs> Cleveland is at home against Jacksonville. Jacksonville, and I, I would love to do the research on this, except I don't have the time, but Jacksonville's a seven-and-a-half-point road favorite. I wonder the last time the Jaguars were a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, period, let alone, <laughs> it, let alone on the road. Um, I'm not going to lie. This is a kind of game. I can see Blake Bortles going in here and throwing six picks. And you walk out of it and say, my God, the Browns won 3-2. to two. Like, How did it happen? The Browns are probably going to win a game at some point this year. I don't think it's going to be this game because I don't think Cleveland's going to score. Okay, Jacksonville's a very good defense. The only way Jacksonville loses this game is if Bortles just goes full Bortles and throws five picks. It's the only way it's happening. Marone should just pound the ball with Leonard Fournette, play very conservatively, let Cleveland beat itself, and then move forward. I actually think Cleveland's going to cover only because I just have no faith in Jacksonville's offense. But I think I think Jacksonville wins, and if they do, seven and three, unbelievable. Yeah. And by the way, if they win and Tennessee loses, they take a lead in the division. They would be the three seed right now. The Chiefs would be the four because of a tiebreaker, which is unbelievable. But Jacksonville, I think they they uh, get the win here. I think Jacksonville gets the win here too. Uh, if you're a Browns fan, I'm circling December third. That's when you play uh, Los Angeles. Granted, it's on the road, but the last time we were in this situation, it was the Chargers who bungled the game. Of course it the was game. the Chargers. Of course, of course it was the Chargers. So there's hope, there's hope there, uh, Browns fans. I don't think it's going to be this week. I do agree with you. Blake Bortles is going to be the reason that they lose this game if they do, but that defense is too good. And look, if, as bad as Blake Bortles is, Deshaun Kaiser, Kevin Hogan, whoever, whoever comes into that game, 
for the uh, Cody Kessler, Brian Seid, Bernie Kosar. Yeah, whoever Otto comes to that Graham. game. Yeah, they're they're not matching up against that Jaguars defense because if the Jaguars defense comes in and lays a dud against the Browns, that's a massive indictment against how great this defense is, and I think it's better than that. So I'm ta- I'm taking Jacksonville in this one. Blake Bortles, regardless. Yeah, listen, and, and I'm not going to get on my my train about how much the Browns are terrible and how how ridiculous they are, but you know what? Anyone who watched or saw what happened at the end of the first half in the Cleveland-Detroit game. I mean, how, how Hugh Jackson's employed is just mind-blowing. For anyone who missed it, they, I don't know what the down was, okay? I know it was, it was either first or second. I know it wasn't later in the downs. They had the ball to two with 15 seconds left, and they were without a timeout. The clock was stopped. Hugh Jackson called a quarterback sneak from the two with no timeouts in 15 seconds. The Lions stalled and they didn't get they didn't get an inch, and they ran out of time and couldn't kick a field goal. I mean, I know you don't have a lot of talent on this team, but my guy, like, at what point are you just negligent and need to be fired? I think I think we've, we've gotten there. And by the way, I'm really to the point, and it's not because I'm hating on the Browns. I actually feel bad for the Browns fans. I really do. I hope they go on 16 because it's got its bottom out. It's got to just be done with. Go on 16. Fire everybody involved with this team and start rebuilding it. Because this team right now, there's no answer on this roster. This team stinks. Okay? Now, another team that stinks, the New York Giants got blown out by the previously winless San Francisco 49ers. They host my Chiefs this week. The Chiefs are the biggest line of the week. They're 10.5 point favorites on the road. And some books are 13.5. I think 13.5 is a little generous, even, even in this game. I'll be very succinct with this the Chiefs have not played well recently they've lost 3 of 4 they're coming off a bye the Chiefs are going to absolutely wax the Giants in this game the Giants are not playing hard they don't care if you watch them against the 49ers there was no effort in that game my only fear as you know because I said it in the office was that the Giants were going to fire Ben McAdoo on the plane ride home and that the Giants would play inspired they didn't it appears McAdoo is going to be the head coach here going forward if they didn't fire him after that game I don't know when you would do it uh the Chiefs are always good off a bye under Andy Reid. Andy Reid 16-2 and two in his career. Uh, frankly, the Giants just don't have the horses in this game. The Chiefs could play poorly and probably cover. So while I am pessimistic with the Chiefs right now because it's just who I am, and if you endure 25 years of their garbage, you'd be pessimistic too. Uh, if the Chiefs don't just go in there and play the worst imaginable game, I don't see how this is even a contest going into the fourth quarter. So I, I think the Chiefs will handle their business, take out a month's worth of frustrations uh, in that life. Yeah. If there was a coach, you know, we're getting to the point of the year now where the hot seat conversation is going to start taking shape. And if there's a coach where you can pretty much say that there is a 99.9%, you would even say 100% oh, chance. he's gone. It's Ben McAdoo. He's going to be gone at the end of the year. Uh, it's it's a when, not if situation. I'm frankly surprised that they haven't fired him by now. But then again, the Giants are, you said it yesterday, they're a historically conservative franchise. They don't like doing this type of thing in the middle Correct. of the season. And frankly, there's no point. There's no point in firing Ben McAdoo. I'm assuming that they're going to get rid of the whole staff. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know, the average garage door is made up of 1.3-millimeter aluminum panels. Something you probably do know, your neighbor likes to tinker with his dirt bike. Something you probably don't know, a runaway dirt bike can take out your garage door and a good portion of your car bumper. 
Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. That's, they want to give Spagnuolo the job, but I don't think they're going to do that. Um, if I'm the Giants, honestly, I'm playing Davis Webb. I'm going young. I'm seeing what... This is the audition part of the year. The veterans have quit. We saw that on numerous plays against the 49ers. They're, the heart, their heart's not in it. I don't care what, you know, I forget who it was, like Eli Apple or somebody said it yesterday that, you know, they're not. Or it was uh, Landon Collins who said that Ben McAdoo needs to be the coach, which I don't want my safety making decisions like that on the field. But um, I'm take, obviously I'm taking the Chiefs in this one. There's no way to pick the Giants to win this one. Uh, people can point and say, oh, hey, yeah, but they went on the road and they beat the, uh, the Broncos earlier this year. Yeah, we've seen all we need to see out of the Broncos since then. That was more or less the Broncos showing us who they were than it was the Giants going in and upsetting a good team. I don't think that this game is going to be close. And I think, bold prediction, this might be the first time that we see Patrick Mahomes this season. Because if this game gets out of hand... It better be for a good reason. Yeah, but if this game gets out of hand, I would say that you should jokingly say, that, hey, you guys should start Patrick Mahomes this week. But the, the, the Chiefs need to get their confidence back on offense after the way that they've been playing recently. And they're, they're going to do it this week. It's just a matter of in which way they get their mojo back. Specifically Kareem Hunt who I want to see yeah, gotta go off again. He's got to get going. And they have not blocked well in front of him. Now, they were, out, they were without Mitch Morrison, Laurent Duvernay, Tardif, who were probably their two of the three best offensive linemen. So that, that is part of it. But, yeah, I agree. Look, the Giants, just frankly, I mean, Manning this year, he's been okay, 2,100 yards, 14 TDs, six picks, fine. He's been sacked 22 times. You can't block. But the, the bigger, really the hugest point with the Giants are defense. Yeah. Everybody thought that defense was going to be great. Olivier Vernon got one of the biggest contracts in NFL history. 10 tackles this year, excuse me, 17 tackles this year, two sacks. Jason Pierre-Paul, four and a half sacks. As a team, 13 sacks. Like, you, you're not winning games like that. And so I just think at this point, the Giants are just more than ready for the season to end. Of you know, and, and, and so, yes, I think the Chiefs win this game. I'll probably be... I rate at some point of it. Uh, I fully expect that. But yeah, I think it's just so hard. At this point. If the, I will say this. If the Chiefs lose this game, they're done. Yeah. They are in massive free fall. But the Chiefs, I think, will, will find a way here. Their next three games, all New York opponents. The Giants, the Bills, the Jets. There you go. The trifecta. The trifecta. Better be 9-3 and three or uh, you're going to have to find a new partner for this. Just want to say uh, the Eli Manning thing. Um, $16 million is what they'll save if they release or trade him after June 1st. They're going to have to cure $6.2 million in dead cap space, but you're freeing up $16 million getting rid of him. So I think the future is now in, in, in New York. So, look, that's, that's all I have to say about that. But Yeah. Um, so... Moving on to a very good game this week. The Rams at the Vikings. Yeah. Vikings are favored by two and a half. It means Vegas thinks <laughs> the Rams are a little bit better. Uh, I find this game to be really interesting. The Rams are going to have to go on the road here. It's a one o'clock game. Uh, and a tough time adjustment. This game could really go either way. I'm going to take the Vikings because they're at home in the game. And the Vikings also have three road games coming up against the Lions, the Falcons, and the Panthers. That is a rough stretch. I think the Vikings know mm-hmm. they need to win this game. Uh, you know, to keep a little bit of a buffer between them and the Detroit who they play on Thanksgiving. Uh, it could certainly go either way. I would take the home team in either situation here. Give me the Vikings, but I think it's going to be a really good game. 
I'm going to take the Rams in this one, uh, mostly because I grew up in Minnesota, and anytime I pick the Vikings, they tend to lose. So I don't want to do that to my Vikings fans, friends. But to me, this game is the Jeff Fisher Bowl, which is this is the sins of Jeff Fisher's football past coming to roost in that Jared Goff and Case Keenum were both quarterbacks under Jeff Fisher. Both were horrible, horrible quarterbacks under Jeff Fisher. Now they're quarterbacks of two of the best teams in the NFC. If that's not an indictment of how awful Jeff Fisher is as a head coach, or at least mediocre as a head coach, I don't know what it is. So to me, that's my big takeaway from this game. That's personally why I'm going to enjoy this so much, because no matter which offense is on the field, Jeff Fisher is just going to be in a you know, cabin in a mountain somewhere, just dying a little bit inside. I that's, should, that's incredible. I used to defend Jeff Fisher and say, well, he's good with Tennessee. My God. I mean, the Rams look like the 99 Rams. Yeah. Who, by the way, Jeff Fisher, remember that? Um, <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. Tampa Bay, your Buccaneers coming off a win, uh, or maybe more of a Jets loss. Yeah. Uh, the Dolphins hosting your Bucks. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with the Dolphins. We've recorded this on a Monday afternoon. They play yeah. tonight at Carolina. Uh, Carolina's fair by eight and a half in that game. The Dolphins are going to come home. This is a, rem- or this is a, a rescheduling, rescheduling of what was yeah. week one. Um, this is supposed to be the bye <clears throat> week for both these teams. Miami favored by two and a half. As always with the Bucks. I let you have the floor. Uh I mean, I've no. I, we watched the game in the office yesterday, and I told you we won. We won. The Bucks won. But it didn't feel good. They give up the late garbage time touchdown to Robbie Anderson. This is, they win 15 to 10, whatever. This team's not going anywhere. It needs to be the Fitz Magic show the rest of the season. Just shut Jameis Winston down. There's no reason to bring him back. The season's not going anywhere. And God forbid, we don't need a situation like we have with Andrew Luck in Indianapolis where his shoulder is apparently falling off and nobody knows what's going on. Uh, we don't need that with Jameis Winston in Tampa. He's the franchise. The Bucks, I, I, I think that they'll pull out the win just because I don't think that Miami is going to beat Carolina on Monday night. And that's pretty much the season for them. Because the AFC playoff picture, as mediocre as the AFC is below those top three teams, the picture is pretty much set. For the second straight week, we have the same teams in. Um, I don't think Miami is better than Jacksonville. Uh, look, Buffalo is falling out, but I, th- I don't think that Miami is going to figure it out enough. And next week, these two teams are fatigued. They're in the same spot. They haven't had a bye week. I think they both have mediocre quarterbacks. It's going to be Cutler versus uh, Fitzmagic. Uh, I'm, I'm picking Tampa Bay to win. The only thing I'm looking forward to in this game is seeing if the defense can string together two straight games where it doesn't look abysmal. Did great last week against McCown. Granted, it was McCown and the Jets, whom we've given credit to before on the show, and I think that they do deserve credit. I felt bad for Todd Bowles a little bit. But I'm taking Tampa Bay in this game. There's really not much more to say about it other than this is a lost season, and Dirk Cutter's got to go. I don't care that they won. You take a look at the last few minutes of that game, and you've got Quan Alexander barking at Ayers on the sideline because they screwed something up on that big touchdown to Robbie Anderson. So even in a game that they win, where Jameis Winston is high-fiving everybody and slapping him on the back on the sideline, Dirk Cutter has a locker room where two of his best defensive players are arguing to the point where it looked like they were going to fight over a blown coverage in a game that they were going to win. So on the one hand, you can be like, they've got fight and they've got fire in their belly. On the other hand, you can say, Dirt Cutter's created a disastrous situation in Tampa and something's got to change. I don't care that they won. It's, he's he's got to go, but that's, that's, 
all I got to say about that. Well, I'll leave the Bucks to that because you know him better than I. Uh, I'll take the Dolphins because they're at home. And I, Fitzpatrick was was bad uh, <laughs> yesterday. Good. It was so awful. I'll leave it at that. Uh, last one o'clock game. A good game, an interesting game. Washington at New Orleans. Uh, I am going to take the Saints. The Saints have, yeah. have made me a believer. Okay, They've played really good defense. That's a seven-game win streak. Saints aren't going to run the table here, but they're going to win again. They're going to get to eight and two, and I, I'm really – I am aboard the Saints train. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback, got a good coach, and I have been calling for them for years to blow this thing up because they've been in cap hell for years. I thought General Manager Mika Loomis did a really bad job, and frankly, he did do a bad job for a while, but they found a formula. They're running the ball, yep. and they're playing really good aggressive defense. I loved Marshawn Lattimore – uh, coming out of Ohio State, I love that pick. I think Tennessee should have taken him. I think it was a big mistake to pass. He's been terrific. Uh, he's he's my defensive rookie of the year. And so the Saints can play ball. And at home, in that building, I take him to win. I take him to cover. I think the Saints might be the best team in the NFC. And I, I think I think they, they win again. I'm taking New Orleans in this game, too. And I wrote about it for, for fan side of yesterday that New Orleans – after just dragging Buffalo behind the woodshed on Sunday afternoon. We can't even talk about what happened behind the woodshed. <laughs> yeah, they're the most dangerous team in the NFC right now. And you could argue that they're the most dangerous team in the NFL. Um, you said, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the one quarterback that you don't want to match up against in the playoffs. I would say that the Saints right now are tapping into what they used to be when this Breeze-Payton era was hitting its prime, where they get going at the right time, they figure everything out, and they are very dangerous to play against. Buffalo, not a good team. Better than we thought they were going to be. I did not. I, I thought that they were going to lose. I didn't think that they were going to get 47 points or whatever it was hung on them at home. Okay? That says a lot about where Buffalo is as a team. It also says a lot about where New Orleans is as a team. Or is as a team because, like you said, they're running the ball. they got Alvin Kamara, who is a dark horse candidate for Rookie of the Year at this point. Maybe Offensive Player of the Year. I don't think he's going to win that. But you have to put him in the conversation of being a very dangerous Darren Sproles type of player who fits that mold so perfectly, a pass-catching running back. Mark Ingram, since the Adrian Peterson trade, he's averaging 100 yards per game. He's, since the Adrian Peterson trade, <clears throat> rushed for 500, over 500 yards. He had three touchdowns the other day. This is working. And the Saints defense, which was putrid the first couple of weeks of the season, I don't think any team in the NFL has embodied the idea of fixing itself on the fly as much as New Orleans has. All the credit in the world goes to Sean Payton, who now you have to put in the conversation for coach of the year. I don't think he's at the top, but he's in the conversation. Because he got the coaching staff together after that week two loss to New England. And they were like, look, let's figure out what's going wrong and let's fix it. Easier said than done, but seven wins later, they've figured something out. They've tapped into it. So I think that New Orleans is the most dangerous team at home. Historically, they're one of the most dangerous teams, especially when they're playing well. And the most scary part about this is Drew Brees doesn't have to throw the ball as much as he used to, which is brand new to this, and I, that's going to take teams by surprise. Yeah, look, I, so I agree. I think the Saints are a terrific team. I, I think they're very, very difficult to beat. And I'll tell you what, they get home field advantage in the playoffs. Good luck. Good luck yeah. on that building and beating them. Okay, move on. Uh, the Bills are at the Chargers. First of, let's see, four, four o'clock games. Uh, or three, four o'clock games, rather. Uh, the Chargers favored by four and a half in the game. <laughs> I mean, this is like 
kissing your cousin watching this game. It, yeah. It's it's not something you want to do, and it's certainly not <laughs> something you're proud of. The Bills were five and two, and everybody kind of kept saying, "Well, geez, you know, they don't feel like that. At some point, it's going to happen." Well, it's happened. Yeah. They got blown out by the Jets. They got blown out. If that's and that's an understatement by the Saints. Now their next three games are at L.A., at Kansas City, home to New England. Good luck. This is Buffalo's last stand. If they lose to the Chargers, they're done because they're not going into Arrowhead and win that game, and they're not going into New England and winning that game. I don't believe in the Bills. Since week five, you can make an argument. Mike Rodak on Twitter uh, tweeted some stats out, and I want to give him credit for that. Uh, They are one of the worst, if not the worst, teams in the league defensively since the start of week five and we know how that offense is so they are in all kinds of trouble and here here are some of the stats uh, that Rodak talked about points allowed per game since week five 28th in the league 28.4 points per game yards allowed over 400 a game 30th in the league yards per play 29th in the league yards per rush 26th sacks per pass attempt the Bills are averaging one and a half sacks every 100 dropbacks. They're dead last in the NFL. So the Bills are not good. Tyrod Taylor's over 56 yards and a pick against the Saints. I think it's pretty safe to say that the Bills are coming back to earth in a big way. I'm going to take the Chargers. I don't think the Bills are good enough to beat them. And that's saying something because if you watch the Chargers on Sunday, the Chargers are just a donation factory for victories. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Anthony Lynn and Vance Joseph, the two of them, I'll tell you what, Chiefs and the Raiders feeling real good going forward because those two guys, good luck. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm taking the Bills in this one just because I think that they need to win this game, and I think that Sean McDermott knows that. And he's a good head coach. And the team, it's better than advertised. I think I agree with you. They are crashing back to earth. I was one of the people that maybe invested too much stock in them this season just because they were playing so well. I don't think that they're done yet. In this, I think that they'll make the playoffs. I think if you're a Bills fan, at least you're going to have that. But the season has regressed from, ooh, maybe they can get in and they can bump off New England in the playoffs to, well, let's just end this playoff drought and move forward from there. Which, you know, we joked about it before the season. That was That's an accomplishment. You know, they weren't supposed to do anything this year, so they're going to make the playoffs, I think. Um, but I've got Buffalo in this one just because the, the Chargers, ugh, oh, my God. Donation credit. factory is an understatement. I, I give you it's, credit for picking the Bills. My God, not that the Chargers are. Yeah, it's it's not going to be a pretty game, but I'll, I'll I'll take Buffalo if only because they need to win this game. And like you said, if they don't, it's it's good night for them. Yeah. Um, all right, let's be quick here with this game since I, I talked so much about Denver earlier. The fair by two and a half against the Bengals. I don't know what needs to be said. We talked about Dalton earlier. We talked about the Bengals or the the Browns and or the Browns. Excuse. The Broncos at nauseam. We, we you know talked about their issues. I'm going to take Denver Winks are at home. Denver's got to break the losing streak sometime. They've lost. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on UnderdogFantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code Radio, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code radio. Terms and conditions apply. Five straight. Uh, They typically are a good home team. Obviously, I haven't been this year. Give me Denver. I just think the Bengals are so cooked. I don't think they care. I don't think they're motivated. I don't think Denver particularly cares either, but they're at home in the game. So 
I'll take the Broncos in what is sure to be a little bit of a snooze fest. I'm taking Denver, too. I think this is a game where they, they, they bounce back. Vance Joseph is like, hey, we finally got a win here. But, yeah. Uh, and to me, at, at, at what point do we stop calling the, the Broncos defense? I almost called them the Browns, too. Yeah, the Floyd. You confused it to him, yeah, right? <laughs> right. Um, at what point do we stop calling this Broncos defense good, or at the very least, giving them a pass? Because these five games that they've lost, it's been well, the defense isn't that good, but they can only do so much. Brock Osweiler sucks. Trevor Simeon sucks. The Paxton Lynch is awful. They're not out there giving up these points. They're not out there letting offenses run over them, put up 52 points on them, put up 40-whatever that the, the Patriots did. This is a bad team. And it was comical on Sunday night that they kept showing John Elway, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady all in the same way. I don't, I don't know if, if Elway pissed somebody off at NBC. And it's like, I don't know. But something's got to change. I've got Denver in this one just because, like, like you said, Cincinnati's cooked. But It reminded me of, I remember as a kid, and every once in a while, living in New York, you get the Chiefs game. And a lot of times if they played the Raiders, it would be a national game. And it reminded me of when they would show Al Davis up in the owner's booth. And back then in the 90s with Marty Schottenheimer, I, I will be a little wrong with this. The Chiefs were something like 21-3 and three against the Raiders when Schottenheimer was there. And the Chiefs would just beat the brakes off them every time they play. And they they show Davis midway through the fourth quarter. I always now looking back, I think it was like the NFL's way of kind of uh, <laughs> getting back at Davis for some past transgressions. But yeah, away not having a great time right now. Speaking of the Raiders, they play in Mexico this weekend, and they are six and a half point dogs in the game. They're technically home for uh, playing New England. New England is staying out on, in the western part of the United States. They're not coming back. They're staying in Colorado until they have to go out to, uh, to Mexico City. The Raiders are coming off a bye. New England laying six and a half in the game. This is the Raiders' last stand. They're four and five. If they lose this game, they're four and six, and there's a good chance the Chiefs will win. They drop three games behind the Chiefs. That'd be all she wrote in that division, especially having to play the Chiefs still on Arrowhead. Uh, I think New England wins. I think New England I, – I, I don't buy that New England's fixed their defensive issues. I just think they've played a bunch of teams who can't score a point. Mm-hmm. Um, the Raiders can score some points when they're right. I think the Raiders will look good offensively in this game, but I don't think it matters because I think Brady might legitimately throw for 500 yards. So give me New England in a game that is a, is a tricky game because they're out on the road for two weeks and it's Mexico and it's altitude. It's, it's kind of an odd game. Uh, I, I think it'll be close. But I just I can't bring myself to take the Raiders. <clears throat> the reason I'm taking New England has nothing to do with their defense because I do think it's a fraudulent defense that is going to expose itself at the worst possible time, which is in the playoffs. But this comes down to, to the preparation, the machine that Bill Belichick has built. And you might not think much of it, you know, the throwaway line that they had on Sunday Night Football where it was like, oh, yeah, they're staying in the altitude for a week and then they're going to go down to Mexico City, which is an even higher altitude than Denver. That right there shows you how well-oiled Bill Belichick's machine is, that he's like, you know what? Why are we going to go home for a week and then go down to Mexico City? Let's prepare at a high altitude. We've already played at a high altitude, so it's kind of in the system, and then we'll go down to Mexico City. That right there is a different... Jack Del Rio is not doing that. <laughs> I mean, come on. The, the, the Raiders, we, we joke about them being better than they are. I think that they're a mediocre team at best. They have a lot of questions that they need to address in the offseason. This isn't a week where they're going to turn it around. I think this is the week that they get put in the ground, and the AFC playoff picture gets even more solidified 
with another team out. And this is another week where Brady and that offense continue to put it together and mask the problems on defense, which, I mean, at some point that's going to come back to bite them in the worst way. Then again, I keep saying that, and this is probably going to end with them in Minneapolis winning another Super Bowl. I I don't think so, honestly. I really don't. And I'm always somebody who says, hey, they're the Pats. They're going to figure it out. Their defense stinks. And I, I know everybody, I get it. Oh, they've been so much better these past five. They have played nobody. Yeah. With all due respect to your Bucs. The Bucs no. have been struggling offensively. Okay. The Falcons have been abysmal offensively. The Broncos are the worst offensive team in football. They can't get a yard. Okay. And Denver went up and down the field in that game for the first two and a half quarters. It's just they're Denver and they kick field goals and they can't figure anything out. Right now, I think Pittsburgh's best team in the AFC. And believe me, if anybody out there is listening who doesn't know me personally, God knows I am not a shell for the Chiefs. Okay, if anything, I, I, I hate them sometimes with a passion because of the pain and agony they put me through. I think the Chiefs are better than New England. And not because they beat them in week one, but I think the Chiefs, as bad as the Chiefs are defensively, they're better than New England defensively. Yeah. And I think the Chiefs could actually get a shootout with them this year. I do not think New England's a very good team. I think New England's good. I think they're going to win that division. But the Pats, to me, are maybe the fifth or sixth best team in the league. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're, they're not... You know, with Hightower being out for the year, that is a huge blow to that team. So, listen, I like the Pats. I think they're going to win this week. And by the way, as just to wrap up this game, the AFC West, after the first two weeks, everybody said, oh, my God, it's the best division of football. Kansas City's the only one that's continued to win some games. Yeah, obviously, they're even in a little funk right now. But, you know, they're, they're the only team that looks like they're going to finish above 500. So, we'll move on. Sunday night game, Philly at Dallas. Philly's favored by a field goal on the road. Look, Eagles coming off a bye. Good timing for them. The Cowboys are all kinds of banged up. We don't know if Zeke's going to play in this game. Tyron Smith, we don't know what's going on there. They give up eight sacks against Atlanta. Adrian Claiborne had six. And you know what? Everybody's killing Chaz Green, who was the backup, who got absolutely destroyed by Claiborne in the game. Green's terrible. If If you watched him, he's one of the stiffest moving offensive linemen I've ever seen. That being said, Jason Garrett. Yep. Maybe chip him with a tight end or something. I mean, do something. I... How they just let that guy one-on-one all game long is incomprehensible to me. I'm going to take Philly, assuming that Zeke doesn't play. If if Zeke and Tyron Smith play, I would take Dallas. But if, if Tyron Smith doesn't play with that defensive front, good luck. Uh, I think it's a good game. I think the Eagles win if Smith doesn't play. If Smith does play, I'm taking the Cowboys. So that's that's the hinge for me there. Yeah, I'm I'm taking Philadelphia to win this one too, and I think that Adrian Claiborne should maybe uh, send like ten percent of that two hundred fifty thousand dollars that he made in incentives against Dallas. He should give ten percent of that to Jason Garrett, like his agent, because he earned him that money. Jason Garrett deserves some of that money for, like you said. At, at what point do you make an adjustment? Like, what are you doing over there? What are you doing, Jason Garrett? Just letting that happen, like. I, I, I don't understand. It, it, it's a disaster. Um, and Dallas, my God, you want to talk about a team that is experiencing turmoil from top to bottom. You've got the Zeke Elliott thing, which is obvious. Then you've got Jerry Jones, who's taken on Roger Goodell. And apparently, you know, according to Florio and Pro Football Talk, NFL owners have like a nuclear clause to basically out Jerry Jones. They have a Jerry Jones clause to basically take him out if he becomes too much of a problem. And then you've got Jason Garrett, who for years has been on the hot seat. Even when they're winning, he's on the hot seat. I think that that's going to be a conversation that heats up as this season continues, especially if Dallas continues to play the way that they're playing. Could you imagine if they go like 7-9 and nine this year? 
I don't think if you finish seven and nine, there's no way that they keep Jason Garrett. They've been wanting to change head coaches for a while now. So look, Dallas to me is a dark horse team that in that they have far more turmoil than we want to believe. And I think that Zeke Elliott and the way that that offense was playing masked that enough. Take him out and also take Sean Lee out of things. A lot, a lot of people skate over that. You take Sean Lee out of that defense and it happened against the Packers, they got roasted. It happened against the Falcons, they got roasted. He's probably the most valuable player on that team in that he fixes a lot of problems. But the Cowboys, they've got issues. I don't care if, if Smith plays. I'm taking the Eagles just because I think that they're riding high and, you know, the Cowboys need to figure something out. Fair enough. And, you know, I'll, I'll just say this because I know we're running a little long here. Jerry Jones. I'm, I'm, I'm done with Jerry Jones. Just stop talking. Oh, yeah. Okay? You have no business telling anybody how to conduct anything. I, and look, I, Roger Goodell has been a train wreck <laughs> in a lot of ways, especially with this disciplinary and stuff. Okay? You can go back to Tom Brady. You can certainly talk about Ray Rice, Ezekiel Elliott. Nobody knows whether Ezekiel Elliott's guilty or not, except for Ezekiel Elliott and the woman who accused him. Okay, Jerry Jones does not know what happened. Unless Jerry was there, and in that case, we have a real big story to yeah. break. Okay, He doesn't know what happened. He may have heard it from Zeke. He may have heard it from Zeke's lawyer. I'm done with Jerry Jones trying to play this moral high ground. Just shut up. You're an idiot. You, and, and I don't use that term. Like, he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. He's not an idiot as a businessman. He's a brilliant businessman, but as a human being, he's an idiot. I'm sick and tired of listening to Jerry Jones lecture Roger Goodell, lecture the other NFL owners, and pressure people into how to doing so. Jerry Jones let Josh Brent stand on the sideline of a game after he killed somebody, okay? He signed Greg Hardy, who immediately was suspended for 10 games after Greg Hardy was accused of and found guilty of abusing the coal holder, his girlfriend of the, at the time, now, of course, ex-girlfriend, and throwing her down on a bed of guns and threatening to kill her. Okay? And Jerry Jones had no problem signing Greg Hardy. Jerry Jones had no problem when the Cowboys were busy lighting up the White House. And if you're not familiar with that, the White House was a house in the 90s that the Cowboys had that they basically used allegedly, and I used allegedly here because I have to, for a borderline prostitution ring and a, and a cocaine warehouse. Okay? Jerry Jones has no business telling anybody how to do anything. So enough with Jerry Jones. He hasn't won a damn thing since Jimmy Johnson was there. They haven't been doing an NFC title game in over 20 years. Maybe Jerry Jones should hire a general manager and worry about winning a game and stop worrying about all this stuff away from the field and Arthur Blank and Roger Goodell and this, that, and the other. Enough. Win a game. Do something that matters on the field. And maybe stop employing guys who are bad dudes. Okay? Just think about that for a minute. So... That being said, final game of the week. Uh, Seattle's hosting Atlanta on a Monday night game. Suddenly more interesting with Atlanta. Yeah. Finally getting off the snide. Richard Sherman out for the year with a torn Achilles. A brutal loss for Seattle. Uh, I'm going to take Seattle in this game. They're notoriously good at home. It's a long trip for the Falcons. Yeah. Uh, I think Seattle finds a way. They're, they're coming off of what basically is a mini buy coming off the Thursday night game. Without Richard Sherman, it's a big loss. But... I think Seattle finds a way to get the job done. I'm not buying Atlanta yet. I know Atlanta beat Dallas, but Dallas was all kinds of banged up. Sean Lee went out, which, yeah. by the way, is another huge deal. If he's not playing against Philadelphia, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, give me Seattle. I think Seattle wins. I think Seattle covers. I think Seattle wins, too. And, I, you know, at some point we have to start thinking about maybe that was the last time when we saw Richard Sherman 
in a Seahawks uniform. Could be. There was, there was rumors this offseason he wanted out. You know, the way that he was going around didn't seem like a guy who was like, oh, my season's over, we'll get it next year. It looked like, man, it's been good playing with you guys, but hey, it sucks that it ended this way. But, you know, I'm taking Seattle. I don't, I don't believe in Atlanta. But if Atlanta does come out and win this game because Seattle's defense is banged up, I think we're having a different conversation. But for now, I'm taking Seattle. Last question for me. Do you think Richard Sherman's season-ending injury is a season-ender for Seattle? I think that it puts it in serious jeopardy. Um, I think that, you know, there's other pieces on that defense that they can they, they can use to win. And, of course, this is going to be the Russell Wilson show. Going back to that Super Bowl play, the infamous Super Bowl play, Pete Carroll and everybody in Seattle has wanted to make this Russell Wilson's team an offense first team, despite the Legion of Boom or whatever like that. Um, I think that it puts it in serious doubt. I don't think that it ends their season I just think it makes them more mortal than they were before in the postseason. I would agree. That's kind of how I look at it. I think that it's a big loss. Yeah. But I still think Seattle uh, got to respect them. Got to respect the Seahawks. I, I, but I think, yeah, it, it certainly puts a big dent in their, in their chances. So with that being said, we're an hour and 13 minutes. Just going to cut it right here. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, for Josh Hall, I'm Matt Verdon. Please subscribe on iTunes to Stack in the Box podcast. Please read the Stack in the Box column every Monday. Write it. It's usually a couple thousand words. Touches on every team in the league. So hopefully you enjoy it. Um, if you have any feedback, by all means, find us on Twitter. Find us, you know, Email us, firstname.lastname at fansided.com. Um, Josh writes plenty of great stuff every Sunday. Uh, goes up throughout the week. So uh, thank you for listening. If you haven't already subscribed, please do. If you want, leave a comment. If you're going to leave a nasty comment, don't leave it because, frankly, we don't want the word to get out. So thank you very much. For Josh Hill, I'm Matt Verderham. Enjoy week 11 in the NFL season. So as you graduate and head out into the world, there's only one thing that you need to know. Hi, this is Jamie from Progressive. Yeah, I can talk now. Progressive protects you 24-7. So tell me what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. Can you give me one second? Um, brush that for every meal. Congratulations and thank you. Sorry about that. I'm back. So tell me about this fender bender. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms.